From the high desert in Far East West Texas, this is the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Hi, I'm Robert Seidman, and joining me for this episode is former Fox Sports exec turned media consultant Patrick Crakes. I wound up uh, having an impromptu phone chat with Pat yesterday, uh, mostly on the topic of uh, Fox's RSNs that, that uh, Disney needs to unload, and thought, ah, this should just be a podcast. So, Pat, welcome back to the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Hey, it's uh, great to be here. So just just to start this off, you know, as a former sports TV network exec, what is your general reaction to now being in like year number five of some not small segment of the sports media wanting so desperately uh, for one of the big digital players uh, to make a big bid on one of the big TV rights packages, uh, even if there's really, at least to me, no obvious business case for the digital players at this point to do that? What, what do you make of all that in general? Yeah, I, I guess I'm starting to really just kind of get mildly bored with it or annoyed. I, it, it feels like cheerleading. Uh, I understand it's exciting, right? I mean, we, we live in a really exciting era defined by change. Um, and media is something that touches everyone. Uh, right. Americans, I think, you know, consume 22 incremental hours of media now than they did like 15 years ago. That's according to Nielsen, I believe. Uh, you, you, uh, more media, lot, you right? mean. More media, incremental media than they used to. Right. And so everybody's doing everything in media. Everyone, because they use media, feels really strong when they have a good understanding of all of media. And, and that leads people to believe, well, I use Amazon. It's really neat. It's cool. I enjoy it. Wouldn't it be great if I could stream everything on here because I'm – I do some streaming, I use Netflix, I use Amazon Prime, so this all makes sense. Right. The truth of the matter is, is that there's a lot of things downstream or, and upstream that, that unless you've been a part of the business for a while, you don't see all the obstacles to getting that done. And one of them is this needs to be fit into some kind of strategy that actually ends up producing some kind of economic value that flows not just to the consumer, but actually to the business itself. And a lot of these internet businesses have a lot of value that flow to consumers, but not necessarily the economics always flow back to the business. So that's one of the things you're seeing here with the need for some of these new digital platforms to want to have long form engaging uh, content like uh, shows or sports, but not being able to sort it out in a way that makes sense for them yet. So they're going really, really slow and they're trying to figure out how to kind of bolt it on or evolve rather than just flipping the table over and saying, hey, give me all the NFL <laughs> because I can do this. Right, right. So, uh, you know, the the, the, the thing precis- uh, precipitating uh, the conversation, at least this time around, was uh, the news. Uh, initially, I think the way it came out was the CNBC uh, did a report that said that uh, Amazon was going to make a bid on all 22 of the Fox RSNs. I saw that, and, and my, you know, my reaction was that didn't make any sense. I saw what... Uh, what uh, you you contributed to uh, Richard Deitch's uh, media column, and uh, it didn't it didn't make any sense to you. Uh, and then it turns out it did, apparently didn't make any sense to Amazon either, because that's not really what happened. <laughs> uh, and it looks like what what really happened is that they they want to be involved with the uh, the Yes Network, whatever happens to that, and getting the streaming rights uh, for that. And I you know I have many questions even about about that as well. But that at least makes much more sense to me of why they might want to do something like that versus uh, go after all 22 of the RSNs. So I, I just wanted to know your thoughts on all that. 
Yeah, so, look, um, Amazon could certainly get all 22 RSNs. And if they believe certain things, I guess it makes sense strategically. And I kind of outlined that. I mean, they believe that bundles are going to survive and evolve, and they want to be in the bundle business because they think that drives value for AWS and all sorts of other things, makes Prime more sticky, then it makes sense to go out and buy a bunch of channels, right? Because channels are all about bundles. Right. And, um, but they don't have to do that today, and they can create a bundle without owning them. They just become a virtual MVPD and, yep. and, and negotiate with the channelers. There's no reason to allocate 22, no, 15 to 25 billion, whatever these things end up going for, worth of capital of that. And there's better ways for them to get involved in sports streaming anyway. I mean, they could try to talk the NFL into giving them one of the prime NFL packages for way overpay for it, $4 billion, and say, look, we'll work on this together over the next five years or six years. That's a much more cost-efficient way to enter the sports business than buying these channels. When I finally heard that it looked like what they were doing was trying to be involved and do what they do best, which is incrementally stream alongside uh, other distribution platforms, legacy platforms, that made more sense, right? Because now it's, hey, let's get involved. This is the most valuable RSN. It's the one that makes the most sense. Yeah. We can be a part of it and, and sort this out over time. That, you, you can you easily, Amazon does that stuff all the time. Yeah. Amazon enters businesses and exits them all the time. They're, they're not always successful. I mean, they, 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 they're in everything from rocket ships to primary ticketing, and they left primary ticketing because they couldn't compete with Ticketmaster. I remember that from my days at Invivo. So the point of the matter is, is that um, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense what I've heard they're doing now. That's easy for me to digest and understand. The whole all-in, let's take it over, um, I had trouble. I struggled with that, and that's what I told Richard. Yeah, so... Um... You know, now I want to just move to uh, uh, without without getting you, you know, without trying to get you in any trouble with uh, with your friends that uh, at, at, that are still at Fox. But, uh, you know, just trying to figure <laughs> out, um, you know, what you think is going to happen, because one one thing uh, it just this is just me. But, uh, you know, it looks to me that, you know, with uh, and, and with whatever reasons they're saying with uh with AT&T not being involved in the bidding and with uh, Comcast not being involved in the bidding uh and you know under the guise maybe of a you know the regulators wouldn't allow that either although I I don't know if I buy that um with with those guys not participating um it it doesn't really look to me like maybe there's all that much as interest in these RSNs as maybe people uh thought there would be and I'm I'm wondering do, do you think that's the case or not Yeah so I I think it that Disney has, you know, Disney's got to get rid of these things. Right. And so they've got a strategic issue, right? They've got to get them all out the door 90 days after the deal closes, which I think everyone's assuming is early January. So they can't be stuck with any of these guys. So they got to move all of them. These things produce billions of dollars in free cash a year. And so they're worth a lot of money. And I think implicitly a lot of publicly public information backed into the final deal price with you know, 24 billion, 22 to 24 billion is what you ascribe the value of these RSNs in the Disney Fox deal. Right. Well, you know, that's, that, that's because it's one media company that could optimize all the value selling it to another media company that could optimize all the value pretty similarly because of their portfolio of assets all right. in TV stations, RSNs, entertainment channels, whatever. Um, when you start talking about selling them out the door, all of them at once, suddenly if you don't have that big media company that has that, that trained sales staff, other portfolio assets to lever, suddenly everybody's economic models look a little different, right? Um, 
if you're going to buy all 22 of them and you're just like private equity or something like that, you're out on your own and you don't have all the tools that, that, that a Fox once had. So everybody's kind of, you know, it's, it's a lot to swallow, right? 15 to $25 billion, whatever you want to call this. And if you've got to take all 22 and you're a buyer that doesn't have all the assets that maximize that value right. uh, in the sale, you got to start looking at paying a lower price and there's less people that can do it regardless, right? $15 billion, $25 billion. That's a lot. And so it just takes people off. It gets more complicated. It takes buyers off the table and makes what I've been calling an illiquid market. And I think that's pretty obvious. So Disney could try to fix that by chopping these things up. And that may be what they do in the next round of of bidding because the first round of bidding, you know, they, they made it clear that everybody else could jump, you know, grab a vine and swing in later. Um, we don't know that Comcast and AT&T aren't going to come in. Um, we, you know, I, I think Fox is still standing around back there um, um, looking to see what happens. But in the next round, they could try to create more value by saying, look, if you only want nine of these, I'm making this up, by the way, you can buy those and you can buy those six over there and see if they can't get more money for it. The problem is, is that now you're dealing with multiple people to negotiate with and um, and they all have different financing methods. Right. Um, and then also you can end up getting stuck with, you know, Fox Sports Tennessee and Sun Sports. You know, make it up, and and now you don't know what to do with it. You gotta, you gotta, so you gotta give it away. It. Basically, you gotta. Ah, we'll just give you these two. Something. Uh, yeah, so, something like that, right? So it gets really complicated. So, they, you know, Disney ended up um, making more money because of Comcast bid for Sky. And what I think that they just got to sort out is. You know what if they can't get the the real price for these things you know what's okay for them to do and that's my personal opinion but you know that's the, they've got strategic executive uh, objectives that probably sit outside of making uh, a paper profit on these things or making it break even so um i think that um the bidding has been um disappointing because they have this requirement to get these 22 stations these 22 channels out the door at the same time there's not enough people bidding for it. So the question is, will they just say that's okay? Or will they see what, you know, have Allen and company try to chop these things up and, and see if it generates enough value that it makes sense to take the risk that some of these deals fall through or people can't come up with the money or it just takes longer than the government wants them to, or they get stuck with a couple. Right. So, um, you know, given, given the landscape and, and, and uh, you know, what you know from the, from the public information, um, what do you think at this point is the most likely outcome? How do you see it shaking out? So, you know, I, I, I remain convinced that these channels have a long, have a future, right? Because I believe that bundles somehow survive. They just get recreated and evolved. I can't articulate exactly what a bundle will look like in the future, but I think it's got to be there because they existed because they provide value right. and they're a way to give higher pricing and pay for content and the consumer can get all they can eat and stuff like that. Right. It needs to evolve. So these, these things have value in the future, but they are a absolute long-term bet on survivability of the bundle in some fashion, both in linear and digital form. Um, to be able to really maximize their value they need to be inside a, a company or, or a group of folks, I think, that um, can maximize that value. And that means having other assets to lever in these conversations with the people who distribute the bundles. Right. So I, I think that they probably, in the end, go to a place where that makes, where they fit in into a strategy that, that aligns with the survivability of bundles and the ability to extract maximum value out of them. 
And I think that's probably a vertically integrated media company. So Comcast could re-enter the negotiation and sort out the, sort out the stuff with DOJ later. Um, uh, you know, AT&T could come back and certainly Fox could just try to buy them back. And, you know, Fox understands them the best. Right. I mean, that's no secret. Uh, so, so, uh, so, um, so Pat, not to cut so, you off, but, but wasn't it the case that uh, under the terms of the Disney deal, um, Fox was actually going to manage, you know, if, if that deal would have gone through, Fox would have actually managed the, those RSNs for them for uh, two or three years. Wasn't, wasn't there something like that going on? Yeah, I don't, I don't know about manage, but, um, but, you know, certainly there's some, there's some support in the transition there. Um, and, um, that had to be worked out. Right. I mean, you just can't it's like, here you go. It's not like buying a house. Right. Um, they're more complicated. So there were all sorts of probably um, things worked out where Fox would provide, uh, you know, services and things like that. And that's normal in these kind of things. I don't know specifically about any of that, to be honest with you. And I, it, but um, there definitely were things that have to be considered um, for the next, certainly for the short run, three, three, three to five years. Yeah. So, so just, just based on, uh, based on probabilities, what do you think the probability is uh, that uh, it winds up at one of these big vertical integrated companies that makes sense, like Comcast, AT&T, or Fox, uh, versus some other alternative? I, I, think it's, I think it's really high. I think it's above 75%. I think it's 75%, 80%. Just think at the end of the day, um, that's where Disney will get the combination of this person who can, the entity that can buy all of them, give them the max value because they can justify it internally. That's my personal opinion, but I, I, I it could not go that way for sure. Um, but twenty five percent chance is a bit is much, but it's much greater than zero. Yep. Yeah. So 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 I but but at the end of the day, I just struggle with how you maximize value in these with these with these uh, uh, channels with without them being part of a portfolio of assets and a man and an experienced staff that can manage it. So um, am I crazy to think then, so if there's a 75% chance that, you know, that that's the best way uh, for, for it to go, am I, am I crazy to think that uh, just because they're going to have a relationship anyway via all the other assets they've traded and, and uh, Rupert having a, a stake in Disney, that uh, the fox of the, uh, you know, of, the, of the big verticals, makes, it makes the most sense for them to just keep them? Um. Well, I, I don't know about all that. I mean, I think I think that Fox is one of several players where it makes the most sense. And you you could you could you know you could back yourself into all sorts of subjective things there. But at the end of the day, um, I don't think any of the any of the Foxes or the Comcast of the world absolutely need to have these. These are good assets um, that fit into their strategies in one way or another, and at the right price that makes sense. And I think that's the way they'll all look at it. I think they're waiting to feel that out. I think. I think in the next round, you know, we'll, they'll get a little more serious. But, you know, we're going to learn a lot um, uh, here the next round if we start hearing about, we start hearing rumors about, you know, well, you don't have to take all of them. You know, there might be, there might be 10 different deals or something like that. That would be, that'd be real evolution in thinking, I think. And, um, but I think for the, for, the, for the vertically integrated media companies, this is simply, look, this is a good opportunity. Let's take a look at it at the right price. It makes sense. But none of them, none of them need this to complete the strategies, right? Right. They're already kind of got their strategy set. So they sit there and say, you know, it's a good deal at the right price. And that's, that's where they're all at. 
So uh, given given uh, your earlier, uh, you know, I, I guess a general prediction that the you know that the the Fox Disney deal uh, will close in January, or it's looking like it will close in January, and that uh, Disney's required uh, to have the RSN RSNs unloaded within ninety days of that close, is it is it fair to assume that the uh, the second round of bidding will get wrapped up pretty quickly in the in the next month or so? My personal opinion is that um, it will happen. That yes, yeah, that's that's my personal opinion because I this you know just myself I can't see how Disney really wants to sit on these things, right? Um, because they they are they are on the clock. So um, yeah, I think this probably does get resolved quickly. I think it does. Yeah. So uh, I had uh, I had a podcast with Jim Miller the other day, and uh, and uh, I had. Uh, I had seen a lot of uh, of commentary after the uh, the news that uh, that the NFL draft this year would be on uh, on ABC Broadcast Network, um, and and that leading people some people to think that uh, that Monday Night Football was going to move uh, to ABC, and uh, I you know despite the fact that there's some some carriage deal where uh, ESPN's fates. Uh, one carriage deal where ESPN's fates aren't married uh, necessarily to them, ESPN having NFL or not. Uh, I think ESPN's carriage fates are definitely married uh, to them having NFL. That's my my personal opinion. So I, I can't mm-hmm. see uh, ESPN giving up a package, uh, but I can see ABC certainly wanting to acquire an additional package. But I'd assume it'd probably be one of the primetime packages. And, uh, and Jim Miller... Uh, he actually thinks that uh, the most likely package for ABC to go after would be the uh, the package that CBS currently has, and uh, and that's very interesting and uh, and kind of dramatic if it goes down like that. I- I'm just wondering what what your thoughts on all that are. Well, look, uh, Jim, you know Jim knows an awful lot about what he's talking about. For me, I, I can't see CBS, given that they're the leader in retrans and reverse retrans. Uh, optimization, monetization. I can't see them giving up the, you know, one of the key, key uh, negotiating. Yeah, just, just Pat, Pat, just NFL. for just for the people yeah. who who aren't aware of it. So what he means by retrans and reverse retrans on the uh, on the broadcast networks, uh, there's technically no uh, no cable affiliate fees, but they they were allowed to uh, to, to to charge uh, uh, for for their networks uh, v- via reverse retrans and. Um, um, uh, first reverse retransmission consent and, and CBS, at least I haven't, I haven't looked at it in a long while, but you know, at least uh, over some period from like, I don't know, 2010 to 2015, they were far, far ahead. You know, they were, they were generating up over, I believe, you know, like $2 or $2 and 50 cents, uh, per month per, per household for CBS, which compared at least at that time to Fox, NBC, and the other guys, uh, for a lot of different reasons, CBS doesn't have a lot of cable assets. And so, uh, you know, they, they, it's, it's not one big number, but, uh, but relative to the other broadcast networks that uh, CBS had was very successful at, uh, at, at, uh, ramping that number up. So I, I, I'm sorry to cut you off. I just want to make sure everyone understood that. Yeah, and that's totally fine. I, I, yeah, we have these esoteric terms, so it's good <laughs> to define that because, by the way, that's you know, well, that's where all the heat is. I mean, you know, the new Fox strategy is largely about that. I mean, yep. that's a growing pool of money because the broadcast affiliates um, are kind of the tip of the spear for the preservation of linear and the marketing and launch of digital bundles, right? That's where the money is. Pay TV is kind of 
tapered off some um, as you kind of sort out the direct pay TV relationship with, with the bundle. But, but these broadcast television stations are reasons for people to get a bundle. And so that's why you're seeing more content over there. And you see these, these uh, uh, the media companies trying to monetize their owned and operated broadcast affiliates and then taking a cut of their non-owned and operated affiliates uh, negotiations with pay TV systems. Um, so it's really, really strategic. It's, it's key, it's core to most media companies' futures. So CBS would have to give that up. Um, I can't see that. So with that in mind, though, I do see ABC and, and Disney wanting to find a way to join this. Uh, they're, not, they're, not as a, they're, they're not really into it as much as the other three, their three broadcast competitors, and they have assets there. So, you know, the NFL has a history of being very creative and finding a way to add partners and, and change packages. And, and they could probably come up with a way to add it, ABC that doesn't need to involve taking a lot of games away from CBS or a package away from CBS and Fox and NBC. One of them is to, you know, expand the season, which they've talked about forever. Right. Um, you know, maybe to, maybe to 18, 19 weeks and uh, add a bye week and create a new package that takes advantage of the bye weeks. Um, uh, the, they'd have to get the players on board, which is going to come up here real soon, but the players would get a lot more money and they would get more rest. Everybody would have to live with a couple games a year where the stars don't play because one of the things would be implicit would be the, the players are going to get more rest so they have less injuries. But the good news is come playoffs, you may have a lot more healthier stars. Um, and ABC could get involved in, in, in a lot of ways if you have extra weeks and extra windows because of that. Um, that doesn't necessarily take away or cannibalize inventory from Fox and CBS. One of the problems with some of the new packages until Fox got Thursday night football um, was that a lot of this inventory comes from the Sunday daytime right. guys, where the majority of viewing for, for, for NFL still occurs. That, that's right. the window where America watches most of the NFL. I think Fox's late game package has been the number one show in all television like forever. Um, NBC and primetime, obviously with Sunday night football, but all shows all in across all day parts is the yep. Sunday daytime package, uh, the late national window. So, I think, the, you know, look, Howard Katz and Michael North, they do a great job in, in figuring out how to schedule the NFL to make the partners happy. Um, this is a big idea. And given all the changes that we've had in the media environment, the NFL is remaining the most important media property to own. It's not dying. I think, I think it's, it's really funny to me that the, that, uh, the rumors of its death were greatly exaggerated. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, that 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 Thanksgiving uh, uh, Washington Dallas game pretty yep. much put a stake in that baby. We're we're done with that. So they're going to have enormous value. Everybody, uh, the media environment has evolved. We've got streaming now, but broadcast television, pay TV remain just as relevant as they ever were, probably on a viewing delivery basis. So why not find an incremental way to add another broadcast outlet, and then also incrementally add some streaming like you did with Amazon that, again, doesn't directly threaten the current partners and just grow the pie in addition to the increases you're going to get just because you're renewing a contract, you know, add another five or six billion dollars by adding partners. It, it's the best way to go. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I want to talk, uh, get you out of here. I want to talk about a little bit about the uh, the NFL ratings. 
Um, so I, and I want to make it clear, like I never thought even when they were, you know, down 10% or down 8%, you know, year on year, uh, you know, a couple of years running, uh, I never thought that the NFL was dying, uh, despite any of the, uh, any of the Anthem stuff or the narratives, but I'm also kind of wired to think, uh, I believe the latest number that I saw communicated from the NFL was that, uh, over all the packages, uh, they're up 5% versus last year. Um, and, uh, up is, up is good. And I would not have predicted up, but, you know, kind of just based on my understanding of the way that Nielsen works in general is I don't really differentiate that much between 5% up and 5% down. Um, you know, I, I think it's, I think steady is good and I'm, I'm, I don't mean to take anything away from the NFL. Uh, but, but like how, how much of a reaction should people have to, Five uh, percent up. Now uh, there are individual things like the Thanksgiving game you cited, and I think uh, ESPN in particular um, is probably uh, is probably very happy. But up five percent overall, you know, as, as from from the league's perspective, how much should I read into that? Well, I, I think you know, uh, up's always better than down. Um, but um, you know, these things fluctuate on a year to year basis, and and as long as you're trading kind of within a range on a year, you know, year to year. And the trend line over, over time is either somewhat stable or, or even slightly up or even slightly down. Um, the, the NFL loses no value at all, probably gains it. Yeah, because we're, they're relative. Have, you know, the, all the scripted, yes. the scripted is falling much, you know, much faster than the NFL ever, ever fell, the, 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 the normal primetime yeah, programming. Exactly. So, so, you know, relative to everything else, they continue, if you're going flat and everything else is kind of going down at a, at a slow and steady rate, um, you know, you're in a great position. You're driving the car. And so they're, the, for them, they've got to be really happy. But there's a real, you know, year to year, people want to read into whatever they, they, they're, what they want the narrative to be. You have to look at it over a long, long trend line. The NFL performs relatively the same today as it did 10 years ago within reason. Yep. And that's an amazing story in an yep. era of complete media fractionalization yep. where usage is up, right? You know, primetime ratings are down, but even them on broadcast television relative to everything else, are, are, the gap's huge, um, even though they're going down. And that, um, the value of all the programming over there um, is still being monetized across this increasingly um, – increasing you know increasing but fractionalized media universe so you know at the end of the day it's not broadcast television or the linear bundle versus everything else much of these different distribution outlets and properties find monetization across different places and they're often owned by the same people that own the broadcast television networks right or own the broadband service and that's lost on people yeah it's really lost on people um it, it's 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 in some ways a good problem to have for the nfl they're driving the car yep. and they're going to, you know, for them, the question just is, is how do we involve everybody and grow the pie and remain enormously relevant, which is, by the way, given all the new distribution systems will remain broadcast television, um, which is something you don't hear a lot of people talk about because of its reach power. Right. Yeah. And we, we talked about this a little bit offline, but, uh, you know, I, I remarked that, uh, I really have to give, uh, I have to give uh, the, the folks at uh, I think it's 345 Park Avenue credit because uh, even even before I, I kind of taken my Twitter break, uh, the numbers were pretty good. And I thought they were acting extremely restrained in terms of puffing their chest out and beating it. 
the NFL that is, and uh, and they, they continue. Yeah. It looks to me uh, to act fairly restrained about the landscape. And I, you know, uh, as someone who dealt with them on like on on, on a former partnership basis, I, I wonder what you make of all that. Just the PR stuff. Yeah. Well, look. Um, when you're when you're doing something complicated on a big stage, you can always make mistakes. Nobody's ever perfect, right? But in general, they run their business really, really well, and they've been able to grow it, uh, keep it relevant. Um, and continue to increase monetization of it. And you have to hand it to them. Um, most importantly is, you know, you learn from your mistakes as an organization and um, they're number one. They know they're number one. There's no reason to recognize uh, anybody else and what they're saying. Yep. Just drive on and keep being number one. And by the way, if you're number one, it doesn't mean that number two's success in any way attracts you, yep. right? Number two can grow. And you still be number one and just as relevant. Some people, because they get caught up in the horse race, lose track of that from a strategic perspective. <laughs> right. uh, they, they want to compare the NBA to the NBA, uh, compare any sport to the NFL. It's very difficult to do because the NFL's distribution is so unique compared to everyone else. You know, they have a lot more inventory with the other tier one sports. The NFL has the majority of its inventory plays in select windows over a select period of time. And they just, it's just, it's rated a different way than most of the other sports because of multi-segment ratings uh, in the Sunday daytime window. It's not, it's not good to just go, oh, they're up, they're down. Therefore I can draw a conclusion. Yeah. So Uh, it's more complicated than that. So, I mean, I think the NBA, even though their ratings are down this year, I think the NBA is a very good business, but like just in terms of general reach, it's all, and, 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 uh, let me back up and, and I don't blame the NBA for kind of being terriers, uh, biting at the ankles of the NFL, or at least trying to, uh, but it, at least in terms of reach, uh, you know, to me, it's, it's secretariat to Belmont and, and, and the NFL is secretariat and, and, you know, everyone else is the field, including the NBA. Um, yeah, and, and I, you know, look, the NBA is, is an enormously valuable property. I mean, they, they bring you the demographics. They bring you a ton of inventory. I mean, every, you know, we talked about a portfolio of channels. If you have a channel, um, if you have a distribution system, you also want a portfolio of content, right? The NBA does something different than the NFL does. They both bring something different to the table. And one of the things the NBA brings is high ratings across a long period of time with a lot of inventory in the right demographic. Yep. The ratings aren't as big as the NFL because they're doing single games and, and because of the nature of the 82-game schedule, there's less intensity behind every game, yep. um, but its value is enormous because of its inventory, yep. high-quality inventory. The NFL is different. It's, 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 it's less inventory but with a lot of math. It's like running off a atomic bomb. I, w- I would make the comparison more to the NFL as an Irish wolfhound and the NBA more to like an energetic Labrador retriever. That oh, that, is uh, that, that's a, running around. <laughs> no, that, that, that's a that's a that's a that's a more uh, like size comparison than I'd want to give it. I guess uh, you know uh, you know Roger Goodell didn't send me any checks, but I guess he's paid me off somehow. I don't know. So oh, yeah, I just say you know, they're just different. They're yeah, different. Yeah. So uh, uh, b- b- before you get out of here, is there any like one thing going on in the media landscape that we didn't talk about that you think is very interesting and people should be following it? I think it's um, NHL uh, renewal, quiet hockey league, uh, uh, the National Hockey League's renewal. Um, maybe it's a little early for that, but very quiet. Um, and the continuing story of most of these media rights for sports on the tier one basis, continuing to go back to traditional partners 
And on a tier two and tier three basis, certainly domestically in the United States, the established media companies via uh, their new streaming uh, entities like ESPN Plus or Bleacher right. Report continuing to be the acquirers of content and the true innovators in distributing it. Yep. Lot, lots of stuff to keep your eyes on. Pat, thanks as always for joining the podcast. A pleasure to talk to you. Absolutely. Likewise. Take care.